This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, are you ready? Ready. All right, let's get this thing going. Cue the music. I'm Nikki. Uh, we're going to jump right into it because this is really, really, really long. We don't have oh. time for shenanigans. I'm concerned. Go for it. Don't be concerned. So, welcome back. We took a little time off for Christmas. That was fun. It was fun. All right. Now, so this one that I'm going to do is out of Austin, Texas. Woot, woot. I can't say whoop because right. that's, the, that's the wrong university. That would be wrong. Right. Okay, so this is Charles Joseph Whitman. Ooh. Do you recognize the name? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so for those not familiar with the name, keep listening. You'll find out. <laughs> Charles Joseph Whitman was born June 24th, 1941 in Lake Worth, Florida. Don't be concerned. This is still a Texas podcast. His parents were Margaret Hodges and Charles Adolphus Whitman Jr. So, Charles was the eldest of three boys, his brothers Patrick and John. Charles' father was raised in an orphanage and married his mother, Margaret, at a very young age, like 17. Mm. Um, His father was known to emotionally and physically abuse Margaret and the three boys. So, with all that aside, Charles was known as a very polite and very, very intelligent kid. He tested, he was tested when he was six to have an IQ of 139. Ooh. So, you say that, for anyone that's like me and has never took the time to understand the numbers on an IQ scale, I look at <laughs> so, I think they say the average is like 100, right? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. You get a gold star. <laughs> So 100 is supposed to be the average IQ score, and every few years they revise the test to maintain 100 at at being the average. So most people have an IQ between 85 and 115. A very, very small amount of people have an IQ above 130. In fact, I went so far as to see the highest IQ ranked countries. Are you curious? China. Because I'm going to tell you anyway. So number one is Singapore, number two Hmm. is China, number three is Hong Kong, U.S. is 28th, so. That doesn't really surprise me. (laughs) I don't know why I said ooh. Uh, It doesn't surprise me. So now that we know the importance of the number. And his was what? At the age of six, he was tested and it was 139. Very smart, smart boy. Yeah, so dude was smart. So. The three brothers were raised in their mother's religion, which was like Roman Catholic. So they all attended mass on a regular basis. They were altar boys. 
their father was a firearms collector. So in that aspect, all the boys were taught how to shoot, clean, and take care of guns. They regularly hunted. Charles became a very good hunter and was considered an amazing marksman by the time he was like 12. Charles graduated from high school in May of 1959. And after coming home drunk, Charles's father beat the crap out of him and threw him in a swimming pool. Oh, okay. Right. So in June, a month later, he enlisted in the U.S. Marines without telling anyone. Seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. He was assigned to an 18-month tour in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> yes, I've said you that correctly. Cuba. Yes, I said that correctly because I've seen movies and I know how to say it. Um, and he left home on July 6th without telling anyone. Just left. Yeah, he was like, deuces. Okay. His father didn't find out until he was like halfway to Cuba. And he actually called and tried to have his enlistment canceled. Wow. Like, he's grown. And his father's like, no, no, cancel that. <laughs> so, anyway... During his time in the Marines, <laughs> Charles earned the Sharpshooter's Badge and the Marine Corps Expeditionary Medal. I looked it up. Okay. According to Wikipedia, because, you know, that's never wrong. The medal is to be awarded to a Marine um, must have engaged in a landing on foreign territory, participated in combat operations against an opposing force, or participated in a designated operation for which no other service medal is authorized. I mean, I still don't understand what the damn metal means, but it's fine. So, after completing his tour in the Marines, Charles applied to for a U.S. Navy and Marine scholarship program because he wanted to go to school to be a commissioned officer. Okay. He got the scholarship, obviously. He's a mm -hmm. genius. Right. He completed courses in math and physics in Maryland and then was approved to transfer to the University dun, dun, dun. of Texas at Austin. Gee. Where he was going to study mechanical engineering so on september 15th 1961 charles started his mechanical engineering program at ut in austin if you don't know where austin is at this point we really can't help you <laughs> i'm just kidding it's the texas state capital it's the center of texas pretty much matthew mcconaughey lives there they did a season of the real world on MTV there back in the day we used to watch MTV it stands for music television there was little music on the television. There, I think there's still that's still the case. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Sandra Bullock used to live there. Governor Abbott lives there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the governor of Texas. Anyway, so that's what Austin is. But anyway, so when he got there, apparently he took up some hobbies: karate, scuba diving. Karate. Mm -hmm. Scuba diving. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know where you scuba dive in Austin, but that's fine. I mean, I guess you'd go to the lake. I think they have places specifically for scuba diving. Mm. And you can get, like, certified and oh. stuff like that. Never seen that pamphlet before. Mm. Um, <laughs> he started gambling and hunting. So, at this point, school was not going so well for him. Well, no. If he's doing all these other things, how does he have time? Yeah, it's Yeah, it's not going well. So, Charles and two of his friends were actually caught poaching a deer once. Like... Someone was driving by and saw him and reported the license plate. Mm -hmm. So when the cops show up to his dorm room, they find him just cutting up the deer in the shower of the dorm. In his dorm? Mm -hmm. And he okay. was fined like $100, which is like $900. Today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was known for being like a goof off and a little bit morbid. A friend of Charles said in 1962... 
that he made a comment while admiring the UT Tower. He said a person could stand off a person could stand off an army from the top before they got to him. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. What does that mean? I don't get it. Keep going. Oh. Well no, that's gonna make me sound stupid. It's not? I need you <laughs> I need you to explain to me what that is. It's like uh, telling you what's going to happen. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'll just cut this out. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) That's messed up. (laughs) It's fine. For those not familiar with the University of Texas, it's ranked in the top 50 universities in the country. Did you know that, by the way? I mean, I didn't know that. It was I, I feel sure. Like I feel sure. In the country. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it is. Uh, some of its alumni include Matthew McConaughey, Renee Zellweger, First Lady Laura Bush, Major League Baseball pitcher Roger Clemens, Farrah Fawcett. Did you know that one? I didn't know that one. Farrah Fawcett? Mm-hmm. I think I did know that. So, uh, it's an important school. It's Texas school. Burn Orange, Longhorns, Bevo, Hook'em. You know, that miss anything? Pretty much sums it up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the UT Tower is part of the main building at the center of campus in Austin. The tower's 307 feet and has 27, 28 floors. 27 floors. 28 floors. They... It's it's gotten so like it's it's so famous. It's got a clock at the top of it. They like they'll make it glow different colors depending upon the significance of what's going on. And what's going on? Mm-hmm, they'll display numbers with the window lights, and it's it's actually pretty cool. So on February, or in February of 1962, Charles is 20 years old. He meets Kathleen Francis Lesner, an education major. She ends up being Charles's first serious girlfriend. So first, oh yeah, serious girlfriend. So what happens in August mm-hmm. of 1962? Charles and Kathleen get married in Needville, Texas. Needville. Mm-hmm. Needville is Kathleen's hometown. It's about 50 miles southwest of Houston, a bit of ways from Austin, like three hours southwest of Austin, southeast of Houston. Right? Mm-hmm. It's way down there. All this stuff is going on. He's goofing off. He's taking up all these hobbies. He's scuba diving. He's marrying Kathleen in Needville, right? Right. The Marines are like, uh, your grades aren't good enough, bro, to continue the scholarship. So, in February of 1963, he was ordered back to active duty, where he was sent to North Carolina for the remainder of his five-year enlistment. Five years. He's not happy about this. He's not happy. He was mad. Mm -hmm. Um, In November of 1963, he was court-martialed. So, basically, military court... Anyway, he was court-martialed for gambling, <laughs> another word, and... <laughs> another word. I don't know how to say it, Nikki. <laughs> what's, what's the word? Spell it for me. U-S-U-R-Y. Mm, usury? Usury? Usury. 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 I mean... Anyway... Doesn't that mean the same thing, though? I don't know. It... I thought it... Well, I looked it up. Because I don't know the damn word. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what it means. It says the practice of making unethical or immoral monetary loans. Okay. The rest of his... Like he's like a shark? Well, let me say the rest of it and you're going to understand it. Like a money shark. Okay. So gambling, the U word, possession of a personal firearm on base, and for threatening another Marine over a $30 loan, which would be equivalent to like... $30,000 
$300 now mm-hmm. and $15 interest. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole thing just sums it all up. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to, we don't have time. He was sentenced to <laughs> 30 days confinement and 90 days of hard labor and was demoted from Lance Corporal to private. That's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. So, and I think it's important, I think it's important to note whenever you said that court so like he got a court martial and it is different there than it is Mm -hmm. in regular court Mm -hmm. um if you got accused of murder in regular court and you got acquitted found not guilty um they can try so because of double jeopardy they can't try you again in regular court but they can Mm -hmm. in military court this is a lot (laughs) Okay, so while all this is going on, Charles starts writing in a diary that has like a a face to it and everything. It's called Daily Record of C.J. Whitman, okay? A lot of it's like lists. Um, Some of it was stuff that happened while he was in the Marines. Some of it was stuff about his wife. And I believe this journal is now kept at the Austin History Center, and you can actually go see it. Okay. In December of 1964, Charles was honorably discharged from the Marines. So, he went back to UT, this time to study architectural engineering. While he's doing that, he held several jobs. He worked for Stanford Finance Company as a bill collector, then a bank teller for Austin National Bank. Then he worked for Central Freight Lines as a traffic surveyor. All this, his wife, Caitlin, was working as a biology teacher at Lanier High School in Austin. Um, In May of 1966, Margaret, his mom, filed for divorce due to severe physical abuse. She moved to Austin to be closer to Charles, along with Charles' youngest brother, John. His father and brother, Patrick, remained in Florida. Are you with me so far? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. All this stuff's happening. All these changes, his parents getting a divorce. He's a, he's terrified that his father's going to show up. Um, apparently, his father called continuously, asking, begging Margaret to come back, telling Charles to convince her. And these are long-distance calls. This is Florida to Texas. With, they don't have cell phones. This, these are long-distance calls. You have to, you get charged for that. <sighs> so, during all this, Charles starts taking amphetamines and says he's experiencing severe headaches. If you've never experienced a severe headache or a migraine, you don't understand. Lucky you. And I don't care what anyone says, that crap can take a toll on a person, okay? So if you've never had it, you have no opinion. It's terrible. Um, he'd seen several doctor several doctors and had complained for a couple of years about the pain as well as feeling confused. He said he had violent impulses, he felt rage. And all of which was also documented in his journal. Like, he was documenting every time he had these outbursts or whatever. On July 31st, 1966, Charles bought a pair of binoculars and a knife from a hardware store. Then, he went to 7-Eleven and bought some Spam. (laughs) Spam. Mm Mm-hmm. Spam. You know, it's canned meat. You know, college kids eat Spam. It's cheap. (laughs) They'll eat ramen noodles over Spam. (gasps) Yeah. Um, he picked up his wife from work. She was work, had a summer job while school was out. Um, and then they met his mother for lunch. They caught up with some friends. And then Kathleen had to go back to work for a night shift. Mm-hmm. At 6.45 p.m., Charles starts typing a suicide note. This is what it says. I'm quoting. You can actually look it up and see the typed note. Okay, so this is what it says. 
So he, he's typing a suicide note mm -hmm. after spending the day with his wife and his mother. Mm -hmm. And some friends. They ran into some friends, too. Okay. Says, it's dated Sunday, July 31st, 1966, 6.45 p.m. Okay. 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 It says, I don't quite understand what it is that compels me to type this letter. Perhaps it is to leave some vague reason for the actions I have recently performed. I don't really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable, and intelligent young man. However, lately, I can't recall when it started, I've been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. These thoughts constantly recur, and it requires tremendous mental effort to concentrate on useful and progressive tasks. In March, when my parents were made a physical break, I noticed a great deal of stress. I consulted a Dr. Cottrum at the University Health Center and asked him to recommend someone that I could consult with about some psychiatric disorders I felt I had. I talked with the doctor once for about two hours and tried to convey to him my fears that I felt come overwhelming violent impulses. After one session, I never saw the doctor again. And since then, I've been fighting my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder. I've had some tremendous headaches in the past and have consumed two large bottles of Excedrin in the past three months. Then the next paragraph says, It was after much thought that I've decided to kill my wife, Kathy, tonight after I pick her up from work at the telephone company. I love her dearly, and she has been as fine a, as wife to me as any man could ever hope to have. I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this. I don't know whether it is selfish or if I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment of my actions would surely cause her. At this time, though, the prominent reason in my mind is that I truly do not consider this world worth living in and am prepared to die and I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. I intend to kill her as painless as painlessly as possible. Oh dear. Then the third paragraph reads, Similar reasons provoked me to take my mother's life as well. I don't think the poor woman has ever enjoyed life as she is entitled to. She was a simple young woman who married a very possessive and dominating man. All my life as a little boy until I ran away from home to join the Marine Corps. And then it stops. So There's not like a, a signature or anything? Oh, I'm not done. Oh, okay. That's where the typing stops. Oh, okay. So then, around midnight on August 1st, 1966, Charles went to his mother's apartment and killed her. Now, there are contradictions on her actual cause of death. Wikipedia says that she was rendered unconscious and he then stabbed her in the heart. History.com says she was stabbed and shot. I'm not really sure, but there are crime scene photos, and it looks oh like she is injured in her chest. So, we'll say cause of death is trauma to the heart. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. So, he killed his mom. He mm -hmm. put her body in her bed and placed a sheet over her and left a handwritten note by her body. Ooh. Yep. The note says, at the top, Monday, August 1st, 1966, 12.30 a.m. To whom it may concern... I've just taken my mother's life. I'm very upset over having done it. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, she is definitely there now. And if there is no life after, I have relieved her of her suffering here on earth. The intense hatred I feel for my father is beyond description. 
My mother gave that man the 25 best years of her life, and because she finally took enough of his beatings, humiliation, and degradation, and tribulations that I am sure no one but she and he will ever know to leave him. He has chosen to treat her like a, a slut that you would bed down with, accept her favors, and then throw a penance in return. I'm truly sorry that this is the only way I could see to relieve her sufferings, but I think it was best. Let there be no doubt in your mind I loved that woman with all my heart. If there exists a God, let him understand my actions and judge me accordingly. And it's signed Charles J. Whitman. So, then he goes back home and he kills his wife. He stabbed her three times in the heart. Like, she was sleeping and he stabbed her three times in the heart. He covered her body with a sheet and he adds notes to his original typed letter, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, he adds notes in pen. Okay. So, this part's handwritten. On the, like, on the side, like, the margin, Mm -hmm. he wrote, Friends Interrupted, August 1st, 1966, Monday, 3 a.m., both dead. Oh, so he killed two of his friends. That's what it says. Okay. But his note goes on to say, I was a witness to her being beat at least once a month. Um, Then another sentence, something about... Then she took through, it's hard, it's an L, I can't read it. Um, But then it says, I imagine it appears that I brutally killed both of my loved ones. I was only trying to do a quick, thorough job. If my family life insurance policy is still, is, is valid, please see that all the something, and then it says, I wrote this, something, something, please pay off all my debts. I'm 25 years old and have something, something, been something, something. Donate the rest anonymously to a mental health foundation. Maybe research can prevent further tragedies of this type. And then that signed Charles J. Whitman. Wow. And then underneath that, it says, Give our dog to my in-laws. Please tell them Kathy loved Shosi. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much. And then it has, I believe it's the in-laws' names. Okay. And then below that, it says, if you find it in yourselves to grant my last wish, cremate me after the autopsy. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a letter to his brother, Patrick. It says, August 1st, 1966, Monday, 3 a.m. It says, Pat, you were so, so wrong about mom. Maybe someday you will understand why she left daddy. Pat, mom didn't have any something to something daddy. Whatever she just wanted, what she had something for she really needed that forty dollars thanks for sending it and it says another sentence and then it signed charlie then he also wrote a letter to his other brother john it's all it's dated and everything at the same time it says dear johnny kathy and i enjoyed your visit i can i i'm terribly sorry to have i'm terribly terribly sorry to have something please try to do better than i have it won't be hard John, mom loved you very much. And then it signed your brother, Charlie. He also left two rolls of camera film and asked that they be developed. Ooh. So, remember the journal I said he kept? Mm-hmm. Well, he left that as well. And he read over all his letters and his journal and added, like, commentary to some of his entries and included the dates that he wrote the commentary kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is just an example. I can't read them all. There's too many. But, like, 
it says at the very on the very first page at the top it says august 1st 1966 i never could quite make it these thoughts are too much for me and that's handwritten and then it's typed and it says thoughts to start the day and it says read and think about every day and it's like stop procrastinating Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline control your anger smile it's contagious don't be belligerent stop cursing improve your vocabulary approach a pot of gold with exceptional caution pay that compliment listen more than you speak think before you speak if you want to better your your, if you want to be better than average you have to something much harder than the average so it's like stuff like that like grow up conduct with superiors Know your status, courtesy, organize yourself, stuff like that. It's th- and then there's a little part right here. Good points to remember with Kathy. Don't nag. Don't try to make your part. Don't try to make your partner over. Don't criticize. Give honest appreciation. Pay little attentions. Be courteous. Be gentle. So, Sad because it's like he's crying. He knows. Yeah, he said. He said something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So at 5:45 a.m. on August 1st, 1966, Charles called up to where his wife worked and where his mom worked and told them that they were sick and wouldn't be making it in that day. And then at 11:35 a.m., Charles went to the UT campus. He told a research assistant and a security guard that he was there to deliver equipment. He then went to the 28th floor observation deck with a trunk containing the following. There was a lot in this trunk. In the trunk. Yeah. Uh, and then it was printed on the trunk. Charles J. Whitman and, you know, had all his, like, marine barracks and everything on there. And then with him was also Remington Model 700 6mm bolt action with, I don't know what that says, 4 power scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sears 12 gauge two and three quarter chamber automatic shotgun barrel and stock both sawed off Remington 35 caliber model 141 pump US carbine 30 caliber M1 universal with web sling 357 mag Smith and Wesson four and a half barrel chrome model nine millimeter lugger and 6.35 millimeter caliber automatic pistol is that it I mean there was (laughs) that was there's pretty much it okay so Charles posted up on the observation deck and opened fire on the pedestrians below. He never mentioned this in his letters. He wrote how many different letters? Both his brothers, his mom. And he never said anything about... Going to do this. Well, but he put it in his diary. No, he never said that he was going to the UT campus. But he said that he had thought he... Or no, 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 no. He didn't think of... He told a friend... Right, that right, right. Somebody okay. could go up there and fight off an army before they got to him. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, obviously, law enforcement's contacted and they arrive on the scene. Officers and civilians try to shoot Charles out of the tower. Keep in mind, this is a trained 
Marine Sniper. Right. So it's not going well. No. No. There is an officer. Officer Ramiro Martinez was at home eating lunch when he saw the chaos on the 12 o'clock news. So he calls up to the police station. He's like, is there anything I can do to help? They're like, go up there. And so he did. He was actually able to make it in the tower. When Officer Martinez got into the tower, he found DPS Officer Jerry Day and a civilian named Alan Crump. So they're standing there. They're trying to organize something, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Officer Martinez and Alan decide they're just going to go up the tower. So Alan. Uh-huh. A civilian. Civilian. Wow. Uh, I think it said that he was like a... Like on the university co-op or something. Mm-hmm. So like he was already up there. I don't know. They start going up the tower. On the way up the tower, they find two dead, two wounded near a small landing. So they keep going up the stairs. They come across a desk blocking the end of a stairway. They move the desk and find another dead behind a couch. And it appeared that she had been dragged behind that couch. So they keep going. They find a dolly propped up against a door. Um, And they open it, but they don't see anybody. So by this time, another officer, his name's Houston McCoy, he's caught up to him, right? And he's like, all right, you know, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So they keep going. They finally come up on a man sitting with a rifle in his hands, pointed towards Alan. Or pointed towards where Alan's fixing to come around a corner, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Officer Martinez sees this, opens fire on the man, who is Charles, in order... I mean, if he hadn't, he would have shot Alan as soon as he came around that corner. So, he shoots him. Of course, Charles turns around, and he fires at Officer Martinez. Officer Martinez fires all of his remaining shots. And then Officer McCoy fires two shots, hitting Charles in the head. So, in total, this massacre lasted 96 minutes from the time... He shot his first victim going up the stairs to the time that he was shot in the head. 96 minutes. That is a that's, long time. That's a long time. <clears throat> so 96 minutes killing 16 people and wounding 31. One of the deceased was an unborn baby. Oh. And another of the deceased died 35 years later from injuries he sustained in the attack. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a website, it's called BehindTheTower.org, mm-hmm. and it lists each victim and gives a brief description of their life and how they came about to be there and how they were injured. Wow. So, at the time, a mass murder by a single individual was never heard of. Right. I know, now it's 2020, y'all are hearing this and y'all are like, oh my gosh, this is so... This is all too common. But in 1966, this had never happened before. So in an article in Texas Monthly, the executive editor or something, uh, Pamela Koloff, wrote, quote, He introduced the nation to the idea of mass murder in a public space, end quote. So this was the first of many American tragedies. Right. So on August 2nd, an autopsy was performed by a neuropathologist at Austin State Hospital. We're going to call him Coleman. Okay. That's all you need to know. He's Coleman, okay? If you want to look his full name up, go ahead. We're going to call him Coleman. They found a small brain tumor in his brain. Mm-hmm. It's on the... I'm, I'm literally looking at the autopsy report. I read the whole thing. Okay. 
most fascinating thing I've ever seen. It says a small brain tumor in the white matter above the brain stem, composed of connective tissue elements of the brain mixed with numerous enlarged blood vessels. No evidence of malignantly fast growth, but that of partial tissue death, necrosis. No correlation to psychosis or permanent pains. So Coleman is saying that his brain tumor is not related to his, to what he thought. It's not related to his, uh, his, his bad thoughts, his rage, his headaches, nothing. Really? Mm-hmm. On August 5th, the governor, governor, <laughs> governor John Connolly wrote oh. a letter to the Austin chief of police telling them that he wanted a methodical review of the case and it was not going to be released to the public. Well, it is. It got released to the public. public. (laughs) Um, So a task force was put together consisting of neurosurgeons, psychiatrists, pathologists, psychologists, and this is what they said. Following a three-hour hearing, the commission concluded that Coleman's findings had been in error. They found that the tumor had features of a man. Being in the medical field would help right about now. Features of a glioblastoma. Glioblastoma. Multiform. With, okay. With widespread areas of necrosis, palisading of cells, and a remarkable vascular component described as having the nature of a small congenital vascular malformation. Psychiatric contributors to the report concluded that the relationship between the brain tumor and Whitman's actions cannot be established with clarity. However, the tumor conceivably could have contributed to his inability to control his emotions and actions. While the neurologists and neuropathologists concluded, the application of existing knowledge of organic brain function does not enable us to explain the actions of Whitman on August 1st. Forensic investigators have theorized that the tumor pressed against Whitman's amygdala, mm-hmm, a part of the brain related to anxiety and fight-or-flight responses. Mm-hmm. That was a lot, and I said it all. Mm-hmm. You did. So basically, after... All the other people, they were saying that his tumor was pressing against stuff that could cause him to have issues. They're not saying with they're not saying that that's one hundred percent what happened. They're just saying that that could have obviously caused some issues. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So they had a Catholic service for Charles and his mother Margaret in Florida, and Charles was buried with military honors with the classic American flag draping his casket. He was buried with honors? Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I thought about this for a long time because I don't think that they would have been able to get away with that in today. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if that tumor was seriously causing him stuff, I mean, you know, it's if he had had it removed or looked at or whatever and that could have completely changed his entire personality, I don't know. It makes me feel like it did have something to do. I mean, obviously, I don't know, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not right. in the medical field. Right. I don't I do not do any of that. Right. But it makes me think that, yes, it does have something to do with it you because... You kind of feel bad for him in a way. He's saying, like, he's saying, like, something's wrong. Yeah, I know. Suffering. 
I'm feeling these, I'm thinking about these things I shouldn't be thinking about. Mm -hmm. I'm acting this way and I know it's not right. Like, it's not one of those things where a kid grows up and you find out that when they were little, they tortured animals and then they started torturing. I mean, and but he, at the same time, he grew up, he grew up being beaten by his father. Yeah, but lots of people do and they turn out to be just fine. I mean, you can't blame. I, I, I mean, I totally get that. But what I'm saying is that could have had a toll on him as well. Not only that, if his father's like that. What part of his father's genetics was transferred down to him? I know that that's genetic. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, like, beating it, your wife, I don't think is genetic. No, I mean, I, I totally get that, but I'm just saying, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be all the tumor. Yeah. It could have been it, a just whole, a mixture. It yeah, of... it could have been a cocktail of stuff that just literally like a bomb going off in his brain. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously nobody knows because they've they've looked at it i mean that's the best that they can answer it mm -hmm. they can't definitively say yes this is the cause of his thoughts right they're just saying that it could be so for years the students and faculty at the university passed by the bullet holes left around campus as the only physical reminder of that day mm. in 1999 texas dedicated the turtle pond which was built in 1939 as a place to honor those affected by the shooting. Yeah. Man. And I looked it up. The turtle pond has turtles in it. <laughs> Does it? Does the turtle pond have turtles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 2003, UT released plans for a $1 million memorial, but it was never completed. Oh, they didn't do it. In 2007, they placed a plaque at the pond as a memorial. Mm -hmm. I read the plaque. And it basically lists all of the officers that showed up. That was basically the plaque. That was the plaque. And when the plaque was placed, a lot of the survivors and students that were there and stuff went. Because it was like a unveiling, you know? Mm -hmm. And were super disappointed. Why? Because... Like, for example, there, there's one lady, went Claire, her name's Claire Wilson, okay. and she went because, and they interviewed her, and she said that she wanted to run her fingers across the name of her boyfriend, mm -hmm. I guess, um, and her unborn baby. Aww. So, because she was shot in her abdomen. She survived, but her baby boy did not. Aww. So, on, so many, many years went by, many groups tried planning something, many rejections were issued by the university, and then finally a group of survivors, students, faculty, a group of people created the Tower Memorial Group. Then on July 23rd, 2016, a white crane lifted the 11,700 pound sunset red granite memorial. Mm. onto the concrete slab that it will sit on. Then, on August 1st, 2016, on the 50-year anniversary of the massacre, survivors and victims of the 1966 tragedy attended the unveiling ceremony and each walked up to run their fingers across the names of their loved ones, finally engraved in stone. Aww. And it's there. 
I haven't seen that. I looked it up. It's actually really, it's, I think it's small, but it's really pretty. And there's a bench, there's a bench in front of it now too. Mm. So, and at the very bottom, it has baby boy Wilson. Oh. So, um, and just a side note, it did say, so Claire, it says Claire Wilson's unborn baby just weeks from birth was buried in the Austin Memorial Park Cemetery, but few people, including Claire, knew the fate of the unborn child until a man named Gary Laver, I don't know, I don't know how to say his last name, discovered the unmarked grave on a plot leased to Claire's stepfather and placed a headstone there. So they didn't even know. Mm-mm. That's sad. So, yeah. So that's the... So in case you haven't figured it out, Charles Whitman was responsible for the UT Tower shooting. Well, I hope everyone's paying attention and got that by now. Well, I know this was a lot and it was very long, so if you stuck with us this far, congratulations. You know the answer to the question at the beginning of this thing. <laughs> well, what was the question? Well, I said Charles Joseph Whitman and you were like, <gasps> and I was like, if you don't know who he is, stick around. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you remember? You remember when I said that? Yeah, I remember that a long time ago. I do. <laughs> but on if yeah, you can actually look up all of the letters and everything, like all the, his journal, all the entry. You can see his autopsy report. You can see the police reports from each officer that was involved. You can see all of their handwritten reports. Yeah, mm. it is crazy. I didn't realize that he took all that stuff up to the tower. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't know all the stuff that he did beforehand. Like, if it hadn't been for, was it Alan Crump and mm-hmm. Officer... There were two Martinez. officers, you said. Yeah, mm-hmm. Officer Martinez and there was another one. McCoy. If it wasn't for them Officer going McCoy. up there, how long would that have lasted? There's video. So, like I said, this went on for 96 minutes. Right. And I know this was 1966, but they had television. Mm-hmm. And so there was news reports. Oh. Watching the whole thing. Right. So there's video of him. Like, you can see shots being fired from the top of that tower. And then mm-hmm. you can see officers down on the ground trying to shoot up towards the tower. And I've then, never seen that. And you can see, like civilians going and trying to pick people up off the ground to take them away and there were so many that they were actually start they they ran out of ambulances and they were using hearses to transport people from the university to the hospital mm. but you and you can see all of it there's yeah. no sound but you can see that's it. awful yeah i can't imagine yeah so and like where do you go cuz that tower I mean, I don't know what it's around it now, but I remember seeing that tower years ago, and it was like, you look out and there's nothing. I mean, there's stuff, obviously, yeah. but it's like everything is, is lower than where you're at in that tower. Right. No. Um, it's it's the same way now. There are, there are buildings that have been built up around it, but not not in close proximity to it. So when you're up in the tower and you look down, you can see small buildings but there's still this huge, like, courtyard right. around it, like in a square around the whole thing. I wonder, I wonder if people, like the students that go to school there now, 
Because uh-huh. I would do this. Yeah. I would like avoid that area. I mean, at I all costs. But if you think but at the same it, time, like, there's a lot of people that go to school there that have never even heard about this. Oh God. Because they're not from Texas. We're from yeah, Texas, so we know about it, of course. We we even know, you know, we we know people that were going to school there at the time. True. Yes. So you know, our parents, our grandparents have told us stories. So we've heard this stuff. They haven't. So it's not the same for them. But I think I was reading. And surely you can't go up there now. I wouldn't think. Up to the tower. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can. No, no. Not just like I can't just walk in and go up well, to the you tower. Couldn't then he lied to him about who he was. I would just think that they'd be like maybe more security or something, given what had happened. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like there, because there's a lot of people that are stupid and want to be copycats. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There was I was gonna. There was one I saw. It was the. He was the furthest shot away. I'm going to tell you how far he was shooting. Wasn't it like 500 yards or something? Um, I don't remember. That might be stretching it. So the the guy that died 35 years later, mm-hmm. uh, the, bullet, the bullet shot through his upper left arm and entered his abdominal cavity, badly uh, severing his small intestines. Um, during surgery to reconnect his small intestines, doctors realized that he only had one functioning kidney. And now that sole kidney had been severely damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so he struggled with kidney disease and significant pain for the rest of his life. There was even a couple um, that were dating. And uh, they were picking out an engagement ring when both of them were shot. Picking out an engagement ring? Mm-hmm. They were standing outside of a like a store. Like a, um, like a window shopping type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Okay, yeah was shot over 500 yards away, making him the furthest victim away from Charles Whitman. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he didn't die. He was severely injured, but he, he was wounded in the shoulder while standing in a doorway of a barber shop where he was getting a haircut. Wow. At the time, he was the head basketball coach at the Texas School for the Deaf. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's super sad. said, located three blocks northwest of the UT Tower, believed they were out of range of the shooting. So they weren't, like, ducking because they, right. they were out of range. Clear, right. Mm-hmm. So so 500 yards away was, and he probably could have shot further if he cared enough, in all reality. It's dangerous. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But people's got to stop this because, yeah. listen, this, this is Texas, okay? Mm-hmm. We have people down here that have a license to carry, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you try to pull that shit now, we will shoot you back. Okay, you will not get true very story. far before we start shooting you back. Okay, That's true, true story. So <laughs> mm-mm. we mm-mm. we don't fire warning shots. We don't have money for that kind of ammo. Mm-mm. 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 I mean, in a way, I feel bad for him because he was there was obvious he knew something was wrong. Right. But at the same time, man, I mean, there's nothing that he could say or do to change the fact that he he took 16 lives. Not to mention the grief and everything that he caused all of the people that were around that day. Right. So, I guess any bad feelings I had for you, they're kind of gone. 
Mm. So, so that's what happened. This was an this was an interesting case to research because I've heard about this my whole life, but there was a lot right. of the little details that I had no clue about. Oh yeah, I didn't either. I didn't know. I didn't know he had a wife that he also killed, or a mother I knew that he, he also killed. No, I knew he killed his mom. I did not. I did not know he killed his mom and his wife. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember how I know that. I just do. There's a ton of books about this. Like a lot of books about this. I didn't look to see if there's any other podcast because really ours is the only one that matters. But there are a lot of books about it. A lot. So I didn't read any, but they're there if you want to go look at them. And if you don't want to read the books and you just want to go see the actual evidence, the copies of all this stuff, you can just do that. 100% available to the public. Mm. Well, that was interesting. That was a good one to do. Yeah. We don't want any more of this crap. No. We're talking about it so that people will learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, that was good. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> here. <laughs> That's my line. Okay. Well, you go. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> On to the next. <laughs>